0: Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in again to the Practicology Podcast. This is our third edition of Cloak Books and Parchments, which means we're going to be sharing with you a few recommended books, giving you a bit of a book review for some summer reading. Uh, Admittedly, this is a little bit late for a recommended summer reading list, so our books that we've chosen, it's fairly light reading. The ones I have are all actually quite short, so if you've still got a summer holiday or some time coming up to do some book reading, uh, we've each got some good suggestions for you. Just a reminder that in our next episode, we will begin to go through Psalm 25, remember our summer memorization challenge, Um, We had details on that in our last episode. You can catch up with that if you'd like. And we're going to work on memorizing Psalm 25 together. Hopefully you're taking a stab at those first five verses already. Mike's going to lead us through some teaching from those first five verses next week. Even if you're not memorizing the psalm, the podcast episodes over the next few weeks, while they're based on Psalm 25, they will be good for anybody, whether you're working on the psalm or not. Mike, why don't you start us off with the first book review of The Cloak, Book, and Parchments, episode number three.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Before I do, though, maybe I'll just mention that if you do head to the website, practicologypodcast.com, you will see that there's a post there with a schedule for memorizing. So if you're kind of that kind of person that wants to know, well, how many verses to do this week, then uh, just head over there and take a look at that. But yeah, back to uh, Books and Parchments here. Matthew, the reason we have these uh, Books and Parchments episodes is because we really do believe that books enrich our lives, and that they can actually change our lives. And the book that I want to start off with is definitely a book that could change someone's life, and the the teaching of this book has really changed my life. Um, It's about seven years ago that I learned, maybe for the first time, that I can actually please God in my life. Like, not just be positionally pleasing to God because I'm in Christ. But through my acts of obedience and through the actual things I do in my daily life, I can actually do things that please the Lord and and bring him pleasure. And um, a book that talks about this at great length is a recent one by Kevin DeYoung. It's called Impossible Christianity, why following Jesus does not mean you have to change the world, be an expert in everything, accept spiritual failure, and feel miserable pretty much all the time. It's just come out. I've already ordered five copies and given away the extra four. Published by Crossway. It's only 140 pages, but it really does pack a lot of punch. And it kind of goes through different areas where we as Christians can always feel that we're never doing enough, you know, never witnessing enough, never praying and reading enough, never evangelizing enough. Um, is it possible for us to be rich Christians, you know, relative to the rest of the world in North America here and still be pleasing God? So so he tackles low-grade guilt. Um, he makes a, lots of punchy statements like this one. He says, the good Samaritan had a duty to care for the beaten man on the side of the road. He did not, however, have a duty to care for all the beaten men on the other side of the world. And yeah, truths like that can help lift us out of guilt and and bring us into a Christian life in which we're actually experiencing the joy of the Lord. So um, that's the first one I have on my list here, uh, Matthew. Again, it's called Impossible
0: Christianity and it's by Kevin Dion. And I thank you for giving me a copy of that as well. I hope to read that soon. You're welcome. Well, talking about books that change lives, I think this next one has great potential in that too. The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way and No Little People. It is by Francis Schaeffer, Published, first published in 1974, but the edition I have is published by Crossway in 2022, part of their short classics collection. It's only 90 pages, including a foreword by Ray Ortlund. And I purchased this because... Someone else recommended it as a book that was hugely influential in their life, so I picked it up, and what a great little read. It is the print form of two messages of Francis Schaefer, an American evangelical known especially for the Libri community. He and his wife founded in Switzerland, where they welcomed travelers and spiritual seekers. The book is easy to read in the sense that it is short and easy to understand, but it is challenging and heart-penetrating. The first message, The Lord's Work and the Lord's Way, is emphasizing serving God in the power of the spirit instead of the power of the flesh. He says the central problem of the church is never in the circumstances around us, but always in our midst, that we tend to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than the spirit. Apart from Christ, anything that seems to be spiritual power is actually the power of the flesh. To the extent that we want power, we are in the flesh. And you need not fear that if you wait for God's spirit, you will not get as much done as if you charge ahead in the flesh. After all, who can do the most? You or the God of heaven and earth? So that's a little summary of the first part of the book. The second message, No Little People, builds from the scene in Exodus where God convinces Moses to go to Pharaoh based on God's ability to turn the staff or rod of Moses into the rod of God. God used a dead stick of wood. And though we are limited and weak, we are not less than a dead stick of wood. Much can come from little if it is truly consecrated to God. There are no little people and no big people in the true spiritual sense, but only consecrated and unconsecrated people. And to be a Bible-believing Christian demands humility regarding others in the body of Christ. Well, those are a few things I underlined in my reading. I plan to read this book again soon. It's that sort of book, and I encourage you to get it and read it and underline it and read it again.
1: Excellent. That's a great recommendation. Uh, I want to go into my second one now, and you did mention, Matthew, that it's summertime, and hopefully some people still have some summer holidays left. And I I do like the word holiday better than, say, summer vacation. I think the idea of a vacation is a negative one. It's kind of flat and empty, like you're just vacating, you're escaping our responsibilities. And sometimes we take that to include our responsibilities as followers of the Lord. Whereas if we use the word holiday, I think J.P. Moreland was the one who pointed it out to me, that the word holiday carries the sense of a holy day. And unlike the word vacation, it's a positive word. It's... It's taking time off or time away to be holy. It's a time of refreshment and enjoyment and building up, finding rest, getting closer to God. Holidays are holy. That's, that's, that's something to put an exclamation mark at the end of. Um, and then to help us cultivate that sense that going on a trip with your friends or family is a time to grow deeper with Christ, not to forget about him, I wanna recommend this book. It's a devotional book specifically designed to be read while you're on holiday and it's called Refreshed Devotions for Your Time Away by John Hindley. It's uh, published by The Good Book Company and is 160 pages. I really like the concept of this book. Uh, To be honest I haven't finished it yet because we started it when we went on a big road trip last summer to Ohio and then over to you there in Halifax Matthew and we only got halfway through but I'm really looking forward to going on another holiday so we can finish it off. Uh, The book includes 30 studies which means it will cover 30 days of a, of a holiday and uh, they're divided into two sections that kind of play into holiday themes. So the first day or section, I should say, is on arriving and the second one is on rest. And then there's others that include things like friends and family, skies, beach, pool, hills, mountains, um, all pretty exciting stuff for a prairie boy like me. And what it means is you can kind of choose uh, the section that you're going to go through based on, you know, what stage you're at in your holiday or where your holiday is, is being spent. But just to give you a feel before I finish on the second one, uh, just to give you a feel for how this devotional can really encourage you to go deeper with the Lord in your holy holiday, uh, day number two is based on Song of Solomon, chapter two, where the beloved comes and says to his darling, arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me." And Henley writes, This trip that you're beginning is not so much a well-earned break as a gift. Plenty of people work hard for no rest, and yet Christ has given you time to head away from the daily grind. It must be because he has some particular blessing to give you, something that you couldn't experience at home in the normal rhythms of life. There will be all sorts of glimpses of his face, and there is a thought that can unite these moments of bliss making each even more glorious. It is that Jesus has brought you out of normal life now in order to foreshadow the day when he will come and do that ultimately and eternally. I mean, isn't that wonderful? And he goes on to say that this holiday you're on is not a temporary evasion of reality, but a reminder that much of what passes for reality is as fleeting as the mist. On a summer's morning, the true reality is Jesus, and he is wooing us to come away with him to sweet-scented vineyards, Of everlasting love. So there's a little taste of it. Each devotion day ends with, you know, suggested question prompts and applications for your family. And uh, listen, if you're a Christian who's single and you're traveling with other Christian friends, not your family, I think that you could adapt some of these and uh, still use them with your
0: band of friends. Very good, thank you. My second book is called Faithful Leaders and the Things that Matter Most. It's by Rico Tice, uh, published by The Good Book Company as well, 110 pages. Rico is a minister at All Souls Langham Place in London, England, where John Stott was a minister for many years, though Rico's calling has been very focused on evangelism. The book is a short, punchy read, or a short, punchy listen in my case, as I consumed it as an audiobook on a recent road trip. And it's great not just for church leaders as an elders, but it's intended for people who take the lead in other aspects of ministry too. It could be leading a Sunday school or a youth outreach or leading in the home, leading an ESL Bible class, a home Bible study, or a variety of other things. The book is actually a bit of a response to scandals of leadership failure in the evangelical church. So, it, it, it's emphasizing what matters most, and that is character and attitude. The chapter titles are Define Success, so redefine it according to God's mind, Fight Your Sin, Lead Yourself, that's a great chapter, and Serve Your Church. So it's a great little book. I encourage you to buy, whether for yourself or as a gift to others in a leadership role. You can tell them it doesn't mean you think they're doing a bad job. It's just a book Matthew recommended, and you pray it will be a blessing to them. Mike, what's your final book?
1: Well, I'm glad you added that last little uh, caveat there, Matthew, because... uh At first I thought it would be a little bit like giving a book to someone about how to stop being really annoying or something like that. But um, my final book is uh, a biography. I can't finish the list without some sort of biography or or a fiction book or something like that. We we need something to enjoy on those holidays that you're taking. Um, And so if you're lying down on a beach somewhere or relaxing in some other way, why not do it with a biography? And the one I have in mind is one I read earlier this year, it's called Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation, written by Colin Hansen, published by Zondervan. I think it's just under 300 pages, so maybe a little bit longer than some of the other ones on this list. But uh, it's a bit of a unique biography in that it, it doesn't so much trace the impact the Lord had on the world through Keller but it more Um, the impact the Lord had on Keller through different people in his life. And one that maybe um, stands, one influence on his life that that really stands out in the book and that really makes the book an enjoyable read is the influence of his wife, uh, Kathy Keller. And not only do you get to know Tim a little better through these pages, but you get to know his wife uh, really better and, and the beauty of their relationship together. Of course, she is just one of many, and if, like me, you've spent any time reading some of Keller's works or listening to his sermons and are impressed with what God has done through this man, then this book could be a real joy to you as, as it was to me. And uh, just in the epilogue, I mean, if, uh, if you wanted one reason um, why you, sh- you could be interested in knowing more about this person, um, in the epilogue, it says that Tim told the writer Colin Hansen, you know during treatments for his pancreatic cancer tim said i 'm not fighting my cancer i 'm fighting my sin, and um wow I, I want to be that kind of person who, if I was in that kind of a trial, I, my focus would still be on i 'm fighting my sin, not my cancer. that is uh amazing, and i think I think we have a lot to learn
0: mm-hmm. from from this Very gifted man whom the Lord used. Thank you. My final one is called Evangelistic Preaching, Proclaiming the Gospel to Non-Christians Who Are Listening, written by Roger Carswell. Uh, published by Ten Publishing in 2014, 97 pages. Roger Carswell is an evangelist in England, and I think it's worthwhile adding that he is, he seems to me, a pure evangelist. This guy sounds to me like someone who is all about getting the gospel out and is eager to do it in a passionate, God-honoring way. And he's been doing it for decades. I wouldn't say this is a, a literary masterpiece. It seems a little choppy, like he's jumping around a bit at times, but he didn't set out to write a literary masterpiece. He's writing to remind us what we need to focus on in our evangelistic preaching, Christ and him crucified. And he's challenging us to put our hearts into it. And he's successful at that. For example, one of the chapter titles is Evangelistic Preaching Manifests Love. In other words, he's not talking about loving preaching, but do we love perishing sinners? Now this is a small book. It's not an apologetic, it's not a a treatise on how to reach the unchurched, it's not, uh, he's not Tim Keller, but he's certainly not ignorant of the fact that the majority of our populations are unchurched, and we need to think about that in our preaching. Other chapter titles include Evangelistic Preaching Demonstrates Creativity, It Connects with a Non-Christian, and It Expects Results. So if you often preach the gospel in your local church or if you know someone who does or someone who would like to, this is a good book. I do recommend it. He's got a few interesting stories in there, some good quotes from various preachers of the past and some of his own good lines as well. Uh, he, He says, let us remember that God uses the weakest Christian as well as the most powerful evangelist. And he uses a tract, a sentence or a poster as a tiny seed. And he loves that parable that the Lord Jesus uses in Mark 4, the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. I'd love to share a few more quotes with you from the book, but I think I maybe left my copy on the plane last Monday. So if anyone is flying on an Air Canada Airbus 321-200, take a look in the seat pocket of row 21, I think it was. Let me know if you find it, please. So there you go. There are six books that uh, you could pick up. Uh, This isn't quite Christmas in July. I guess we're Christmas in August now. Uh, Some summer reading or some advanced purchases. We hope you enjoy them.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a nice balance in those uh, recommendations, Matthew. Not that we put our heads together and planned it, but the first one was for the Christian who is in great angst about, you know, what if I'm never, ever witnessing enough? And we finish with a book that uh, would encourage us if if maybe we don't have any zeal for these things. So... um, that's great, and uh, if you do pick up one of these books and read it, let us know what you think. We're always happy to hear from you at the Practicology Podcast.
0: Absolutely, thanks for tuning in today.